<laughs> okay, we are back, everybody. That was uh, James Adomian. Now, for the, the sort of second half of the show, I got a, I got two articles on deck that I want to talk about this week that I think um, complement each other very nicely. Uh, the first one was uh, a piece that came out uh, last week uh, called The Right to Vote Should Be Restricted to Those with Knowledge. <laughs> this uh, was, you know, um, this article makes the case that um, only a certain class of people, aka those with knowledge or the correct knowledge, should be allowed to vote. And I think that's a terrible idea, or at least I did until I read the second article I want to talk about this week, uh, the Washington Post profile of the woman who really loves Daddy Donald. Um, did you guys see either of these articles? I saw them both, but I knew we were going to talk about them, so I didn't read them. Okay. I always I, love uh, getting surprised by you, Will. <laughs> <laughs> I generally don't read articles. I think it sort of makes your worldview biased if you read articles one way or the other. I only read them live on the show, <laughs> but I do agree with the premise of the first article um, where, you know, we've talked about this for years that our smartest members of society are marginalized and we know who the smartest members of society are, but we've never had a pro gamer in either House of Congress or in the executive branch. So uh, anything in that direction, I'm good with. Now. Okay, the, the, the first article, okay, it's written by this guy, Jason Brennan, and I think um, to sort of give you a flavor of where this article is going to go, I just want to read you the bio that's at the, the top of this article. Um, you ready for this? It's, uh, Jason Brennan is Associate Professor of Strategy, Economics, Ethics, and Public Policy at Georgetown University. His latest book is Markets Without Limits. And he is currently writing against politics under contract with Princeton University Press. Oh Can't my God, we gotta get how, him. How about that? This guy is gonna—he's gonna end up being one of the consultants for that fucking disruptor party that we read about a couple weeks ago. <laughs> no, this guy. So yeah, he's a professor at Georgetown, and he's the author of Against Politics and Markets Without Limits. If that isn't a fucking horror show, I God don't know damn! What it is. You can uh, buy a kidney in a vending machine. <laughs> Barter Town, Markets Without Limits. <laughs> So let's let's dive into this guy's, um, you know, this is another manifesto we're going to read from now. Uh, he writes, who should hold power, the few or the many? Concentrating power in the hands of a few in monarchy, dictatorship, or oligarchy tends to result in power for personal benefit at the expense of others. Yet in spreading power among the many, as it is in a democracy, individual votes no longer matter. And so most voters remain ignorant, biased, and misinformed. We have a dilemma. And he says, you know, uh, Republican representative democracy tries to split the difference. Checks and balances, judicial reviews, Bill of Rights, and elected representatives are all designed to hold leaders accountable to the people while also constraining the foolishness of the ignorant masses. Overall, these institutions work well. In general, people in democracies have the highest standards of living. But what if we could do better? See, there we go. Oh, <laughs> you yeah. guys already anticipated uh, the the turn here. Um, you cut to a picture, a black and white uh, film of somebody like trying to vote, and like they keep stabbing the paper, or like they fall through the booth, and you know, like from one of those infomercials, and they just look at the camera and like shrug and go, "What the hell?" 
Black and white footage of a perfectly good child being unsold. <laughs> its price not being determined by the market. He says, there is a better way. Consider an alternative political system called epistocracy. Ep- oh, boy. Epis- epistocracy. Ooh. Oh, boy. Oh, I'm getting, I'm getting riled here. This sounds good. Epistocracies retain the same institutions as representative democracies, including imposing liberal constitutional limits on power, Bill of Rights, checks and balances, judicial review, blah, blah, blah. But while democracies give every citizen an equal right to vote, epistocracies apportion political power by law according to knowledge or competence. Oh, wait, no, he says the idea here is not that knowledgeable people deserve to rule. Of course they don't. But that the rest of us deserve not to be subjected to incompetently made political decisions. Political decisions are high stakes, and democracies entrust some of those high stakes decisions to the ignorant and incompetent. One out of every ten Americans is what you call an influencer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is an argument for democracy by uh, influencers. He says, voters tend to mean well, but voting well takes more than a kind heart. You know, a kind heart, you can um, collect uh, shopping carts in a supermarket uh, parking lots, but it's not good enough to vote. No, it's not. I mean, uh, running a bake sale, uh, putting putting your coat over a puddle for a young lady... Pulling out chairs, holding doors. These may, um, well, actually, they won't get you laid. Women don't like nice guys. Uh, you can read about it more in my ebook, but they certainly won't prepare you to make the decisions of state. Being nice won't uh, won't allow you to connect with the moderate rebels of Arara Sham or uh, work on the F thirty five project or uh, make Uber for universal basic income. I would just like to slightly push back against the uh, epistocracy and just say we should have um, government by nice guys only. No way. We're going to get pushed around by alpha countries if we let that happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, like, mean, and then, like, Putin's going to come and, like, fuck Canada right in front of us. You know what? I mean, it's sort of like communism. I mean, being a nice guy works on paper, but in real life, uh, the babes only go for assholes and the the uh, the statecraft will be taken right out in front of you. Well, yeah, no, th- this is the problem with uh, my, you know, nice guyocracy is that, yeah, the voters just wouldn't respect it. Cucks. Just like they don't respect nice guys in yeah, general. No one does. Um, so, yeah, he says uh, voters tend to mean well, but he says uh, it takes more than a kind heart. It requires tremendous social scientific knowledge, knowledge that most citizens lack. Most voters know nothing. But some know a great deal, and some know less than nothing. The goal of liberal Republican (laughs) epistocracy is to protect against democracy's downsides by reducing the power of the least informed voters or increasing the power of better informed ones. Okay, now let me ask you guys. Do you think that voting or just choosing a politician that you think best represents your interests requires an enormous amount of very highly technical no, knowledge. No, no, that's the whole fucking point. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah. he's missing the literal entire point of representative democracy, which is that you don't need to know a lot. You just need to have a general idea of what your interests are or your preferences are, and then you elect people who you think will carry them out, and then those people, in collaboration with like a, a permanent sort of bureaucracy of professionals... Try to carry out those policies. It's pretty fucking straightforward. 
I mean, unless uh, you're doing some insane nightmare deal where everybody's got to do a plebiscite on everything, which is not the case. That stuff is supposed to be figured out like at the level of representatives, not at the level of voters. Disagree. Uh, most voters are more interested in taking selfies, <laughs> doing OxyContin, and uh, generally, just generally being ne'er-do-wells. Like, the typical voter, he goes in the voting booth and he's like, how do I vote for Kid Rock? <laughs> and uh, the educated voter, uh, for which there are 20 of the Kid Rock voter, for every one of the guy who's like, ooh, I would vote for a Neutron if that was an option, <laughs> because I know what that is. Uh, they're not represented. So uh, I'm, I see. I'm, I'm skeptical of this guy, but if his proposal is that you get one vote for every major character from the West Wing you can name, then I'm down with it. Hell yeah. Okay, let's get into the, the nitty gritty of this. He says, there are many ways of institu instituting epistocracy, some of which would work better than others. For instance... An epistocracy might deny citizens the franchise unless they can pass a test of basic political knowledge. Where have I heard this before? Uh, That's a bold and innovative approach to politics. Wow, this guy's a real disruptor. I, I have Just a, like guys, Strom Thurmond. Guys, I have a really innovative approach to politics. Check this out. So the uninformed citizen, their votes are worth three-fifths that of an informed citizen. <laughs> Well, check this out. He says, they might give every citizen one vote, but grant additional votes to citizens who pass certain tests or obtain certain credentials. Yeah, baby. I got well, my I, voting I, merit badge. <laughs> uh, President Evan McMullen, here we come, baby. <laughs> this, this pisses me off because it. Um, now I'm regretting never finishing grad school because I wanted 10 votes for myself. Well, you can either graduate from grad school or you can recite an entire song from Hamilton. Either one gets you extra votes. Well, actually, that makes sense because actually the actual Alexander Hamilton was probably would have been in favor of this. Oh, yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He hated the idea of re actual representative democracy. Uh, uh, he continues. Uh, he says they might pass all laws through normal democratic means, but then permit bands of experts to veto badly designed legislation. For instance, a board of economic advisors might have the right to veto rent control laws, just as the Supreme Court can veto laws that violate the Constitution. Okay, is there a Jesus. single person? Oh yeah. wow! <laughs> Here it comes. What a shock! Oh my god! All, all this smartness is actually just deeply, deeply ideological. Who could have thought? Yeah. Who could have thought that these? These uh, ideas of intelligence and knowledge that are presented as being uh, apolitical are actually just ideology. This is blowing my fucking mind. He says, or an epistocracy might allow citizens to vote at the same time as requiring them to take a test of basic political knowledge and submit their demographic information. With such data, any statistician could calculate the public's enlightened preferences. That is, what a demographically identical voting population would support if only they were better informed. <laughs> I, can't, I can't imagine how that, you know, wouldn't work. Uh, he says, an epistocracy might then instantiate the public's enlightened preferences rather than their actual unenlightened preferences. So I guess the public's unenlightened preferences are like having enough money to support their families and like being able to afford going to the doctor. But once we put that through some sort of enlightened statistical metric, they would realize that were they smart enough, they would realize that actually they don't want all those things. Like when the army shows up to uh, evict you 
you know, because of eminent domain or, you know, they're, they've increased the rent 300% to, to make it a luxury dwelling or something. They're just dragging you out and you're like, this is illegal. And they're like, no, 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 you made it legal because you like smartphones and that's capitalism, <laughs> which means you like capitalism. So shut up. I'm going to tase your child into incontinence. He says, as the political theorist Ben Saunders says, in a democracy, each person's power is so small that insisting on equality is like arguing over the crumbs of a cake rather than an equal slice. Well, when you say it like that, I mean, I'd rather not be equal. I'd rather have the whole piece of cake. On the other hand, it's true, at least right now, that certain demographic groups, such as rich white men, are more likely to pass a basic political knowledge test than others, such as poor black women. Hence the worry that epistocracies will favor the interests of some groups over others. But this worry might be overstated. <laughs> Political scientists routinely find that so long as individual voters have a low chance of being decisive, that they will vote for what they perceive to be the common good rather than their self-interest. Further, it might be well that excluding or reducing the power of the least knowledgeable 75% of white people produces better results for four black, pe black women than democracy does. Um, so in closing, he says, democracy and epistocracy both spread power among the many, but epistocracy tries to make the informed many are not drowned out by the ignorant or misinformed many. Um, he wrote this on the inside of a locker after he got stuffed in there in high school. <laughs> I mean, again, like the, the, the worst idea in this, in the, the, the fundamental fallacy that, that is going on here is the idea that voting for politicians requires some kind of highly specialized knowledge that only like a very educated few are able of accessing. Uh, yeah, no, I would genuinely much rather be subject to the whims of genuine dullards and dunces than anyone like uh, Jason Brennan and uh, the, the author of Markets Without Limits, because I guarantee you it would... Uh, result in less mass murder. Well, I mean, okay, but like, uh, wouldn't you rather have the, uh, the abilities of the weighted, like say certain students of Leo Strauss have more influence over the democracy? Like, I mean, look at all, look at like, uh, let you, know, take for example, like the project for the new American century, tons of Princeton graduates, like our friend, incredibly smart, people. incredibly smart. You know, like, yeah, maybe they uh, maybe they've become a little bit too clever by half and they think that we need to uh, start a civil war that our country is a part of for some reason to chase Leo Strauss's weird dream of uh, constant struggle against good and evil that ultimately uh, exhausts resources and kills a million people and plunges a region into chaos for longer than our own lifetimes. But, you know, at least they're not dumb. They're smart, the smartest guys. You know what? I've got a, I've got a rejoinder to that though. In the form of musical theater, close your eyes and imagine. 1976, Santiago City. <laughs> Are you Mr. Pinochet, sir? Uh, I'm, uh, oh, scene, uh, I'm scene, sorry, sir. I'm, uh, I'm, Mil I'm Milton Friedman, man. <laughs> Well, I think markets are the only thing that ever freed man. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, uh, that that that's the argument for ep epistocracy, and you know, I think self-evidently we regard that as laughable on its face, and I think that guy's right to vote should be taken away. But, however, now, now because we are 
a podcast that considers both sides, and we're gonna like we're gonna flip you out. Let's take a hard turn here. Now I'd like to take and discuss an article that actually makes me reconsider my original belief that this article was on its face wrong and absurd. This is an article that was in the Washington Post uh, just this weekend. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you probably already saw it. It's uh, titled "Finally, Someone Who Thinks Like Me." Now, this article, if you are a premium subscriber, you will note that it is almost identical to the one, another Washington Post piece article that we discussed uh, a few shows back about Jim Cooley, the guy who takes his gun everywhere, in that it is both a very funny but also a grim and depressing look at uh, into the life of someone in contemporary America and how they interact with politics. But um, despite the fact, I think this article is worth reading. It's sort of a a sister article to the Jim Cooley profile. Um, it's by uh, Stephanie McCrumman. And again, the title of the article is Finally Someone Who Thinks Like Me. And it's a portrait of this woman, Melanie Austin, who is a, uh, uh, an enthusiastic Trump supporter. Um, I'll, I'll just begin here. It says, In a living room in western Pennsylvania, the Republican National Convention was on TV, and Melanie Austin was getting impatient. Who's that guy, she said, watching some billionaire talk about prosperity and tolerance. Prosperity and tolerance? Forget that shit. She lit a cigarette. Her boyfriend, Kevin, was next to her on the couch, drifting to sleep, a pillow over his head. On the ottoman was her cell phone. Her notes on the speakers so far, lock her up, she had written, and the anti-anxiety pills she keeps in a silver vial on her keychain. She was 50, a 52-year-old woman who had worked 20 years for the railroad, had once been a Democrat and was now a Republican, and counted herself among the growing swath of people who occupied the fringes of American politics, but were increasingly becoming part of the mainstream. Like millions of others, she believed that President Obama was a Muslim, and like so many she had gotten to know online through social media, she also believed that he was likely gay, that Michelle Obama could be a man, and the Obama children were possibly kidnapped for a family now searching for them. <laughs> so beautiful, Melanie said, as Ivanka Trump walked onto the convention stage to introduce her father, and soon, and soon the soaring score of the movie Air Force One was blasting through the TV. Melanie sat up straighter. This is what she had been waiting for. Here comes Big Daddy, she said, clapping. The Donald. Big Daddy. Kevin was snoring. Here he is, babe, she said. Donald's here, babe. Trump walked onto the stage, chanting, USA, USA. That's right, Donald. USA, baby, Melanie said to the Republican nominee for president, who began his speech by marveling at all the Americans who had gotten him there. Who would have believed that when we started this journey on June 16th of last year, and I say we because we are a team, would have received almost 14 million votes, Trump said, looking out at the cheering crowd. I would, Melanie said to the TV. <laughs> I would, Donald. <laughs> so yeah, you'll, you'll already, if, if you remember the article about Jim Cooley, you'll already begin to see some of the similarities here in that, except this is gender flipped because this is like woke. Uh, because in the Jim Cooley article, his long-suffering uh, wife had to begrudgingly agreed to uh, accompany him on his strapped trip to Walmart, but said she would go in a different entrance and exit and pretend not to know him. And I like in this one, uh, Melanie is super hyped up to see Daddy Donald, but her boyfriend is sort of like snoring with a pillow over his head on the couch. I think we need to we need to hook her up with Jim and then get Jim's poor wife hooked up with this guy. I think they would all be much happier. 
The, the similarities continue. It's, it says, the first time she had seen him at a rally in June, she was just beginning to realize how many people saw the world the way she did. That she was one of among millions. At the time, her hips were still sore from a series of injections intended to calm her. She had gotten them in February during a difficult time in her life when she had been involuntarily hospitalized for several weeks after what she called a, quote, rant a series of online postings that including one saying that Obama should be hanged and the White House fumigated and burned to the ground. On her discharge papers, in a box labeled medical problem, a doctor had typed homicidal ideation. (laughs) (laughs) Melanie thought the whole thing was outrageous. She wasn't a person with homicidal ideation. She was anxious, sure, enraged, definitely, but certainly not homicidal and certainly not in need of a hospital stay. It never crossed my mind that I'm losing it, she said several months after her release. And a big reason for this conviction was the rise of Donald Trump, who had talked about so many of the things she had come to believe, from Obama being a founder of the terrorist group ISIS, to Hillary Clinton being a co-founder, to the idea that U.S. Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia may have been murdered in a White House plot involving a prostitute and a pillow. They say they found on a pillow on his face, which is a pretty unusual place to find a pillow, Trump had told this radio host, Michael Savage, who was using his show to explain the scenario to his five million weekly listeners, who then spread it on Facebook, where it wound up on Melanie's feed. Well, what I love about that is he says, a pillow is a pretty strange place to find a, you know, on someone's face. But just in the opening of this article, uh, a pillow is on her boyfriend Kevin's face as he snores loudly as Donald Trump uh, Obama's sends. trying to kill her boyfriend. <laughs> To Melanie, this was the glory of the 2016 presidential election. The truth about so many things was finally being accepted from the highest levels of the Republican Party on down to the grassroots of America, where so many people like her didn't care what some fact checker said, much less that one day Trump would suggest that Obama wasn't born in America, and on another say maybe he was. Now, uh... More and more, she was meeting people who felt the same as she did, joining in what amounted to a parallel world of beliefs that the Trump campaign had not so much created as harnessed and swept into the presidential election. As, As Melanie saw it, what she had posted about Obama was no different from what a New Hampshire state legislator and Trump campaign advisor had said about Hillary Clinton, that she should be put in the firing line and shot for treason. Now, it goes on to describe Melanie, and again, like Bill Cooley, uh, she had sort of like um, a thing that happened in her life that sort of began to skew her down this path. And it involved um, sort of like her economic life and job. Describes how she um, worked for uh, the railroads in Pennsylvania for almost 20 years. Um, And on the job, she had received a huge amount of like actually quite bad sexual harassment from the men she worked with, including, you know, stealing her panties out of her locker and putting it on like you know putting it on the train like a flag uh, like on uh, that she was working on a lot of nasty comments things like that and she had gotten so bad that she had ended up suing her employers and a, a jury actually awarded her close to half a million dollar settlement which was then um almost instantly uh, overturned on appeals and that's when like it just sort of she had no job she was out of work she had this like sort of moment of triumph over her shitty job and employers, but that was taken away from her. And the governor at the time of Pennsylvania was Ed Rendell, a Democrat. And this is sort of like, again, the thing that happened in her life that destabilized it and began sort of to put her on that track, going down that like th- this this road to basically driving yourself insane uh, online. Um, 
hold on, let me find it. It says, um, and again, like, you know, th- this became like a whole conspiracy for her. Rendell was friendly with Bill Clinton, and Melanie was sure it didn't help her case that Clinton was embroiled as president and embroiled in sex scandals when she began filing complaints to the Equal Opportunity Commission. Just leave Slick Willie's photo all over it. You just wanted to barf. What could I do? She said, nothing. I'm just one little girl. My anxiety's through the roof, she said, and then explained what came after the lawsuit. Her sister became ill with cancer. There were fights with doctors and insurance companies over bills. Her sister died. There was a housing collapse and the banking collapse, and her hours got cut back, and her colleagues were treating her as bad as ever. So again, it's like this portrait of a woman whose life is getting more and more out of her control. It's slipping away faster and faster from her, and in a community in Pennsylvania that they describe that is ever more dilapidated opportunity and employment just continues to evaporate away and with it um, you know drug abuse and um, all kinds of problems crop up in its wake and like this is the kind of portrait of you know Trump's America and and the Trump voter um, I mean it goes on to you know describe uh, many of her other um, insane and paranoid beliefs that um, she uh, continues to subscribe to, and like you know, this is the you know, th- this is the, the the voter that we're told that we should you know uh, at least by in their, our first article said that we should be afraid of, or I don't know maybe we shouldn't. I mean, what do you guys what, like? What do you, what do you guys make of this? Because I, I read this and just thought that like this is like a portrait of the way a lot of people are living in this country right now, and it reminded me of. When we spoke to uh, Vox earlier this week, we were interviewed by one of their reporters, and he was describing kind of the uh, the Vox mentality that kind of like he was sort of vocalizing what under undergirds a lot of their articles and their worldview, which is this idea that um, things are getting better, that progress is being made every day. People have a higher quality of life now in in both this country and the world than they did you know 50 or 100 years ago and it is getting better despite all these things because of material and technical progress which is hard to argue with but at the same time this coexists with a broad swath of this country that exists like Melanie does which is perhaps not completely ruinous but is just in this kind of existentially shitty I don't know environment or way that it, that it, that is getting worse and like so how do we how do we square these two things well, for one thing, I just have to once again marvel at the amazing fluidity of capitalism to both destroy people's lives and minds and ability to function, and at the exact same time, offer them in their whirlwind of entertainment options, every conspiracy theory and enemy to blame for why their lives are like that. It's it's, it's truly amazing. I mean, the thing that first strikes out at me in the article in the first uh you know probably three paragraphs of the article is this woman's incredibly mentally ill like incredibly so there are people who believe goofy shit about you know obama is a muslim or whatever but you wouldn't really put them in the purview of mentally ill but this woman is downing downing benzodiazepines and has been hospitalized and you just listen to her talk and it's kind of like this word salad uh pablum but she probably started it out like just how she was born more susceptible to a breakdown than other people probably but really the events of her life made her insane yeah and if you 
you know, if you think of if you think of everyone as a little ball on a pinball machine, li- living in this system, it depends on what flappers you hit along the way. And she hit unemployment. She hit uh, she hit the the legal advantage that com- that corporations have in courts. She has the destruction. She hit the uh, destruction of the safety net in America. She hit our health insurance system which is more like a elaborate practical joke played on poor people than anything else and you hit all those things yeah it will make you absolutely fucking insane and a little bit more to what matt said um you know trump is trump is in the same category of people who have ruined her life her life i mean he he was like a, an atomic bomb that went off in atlantic city and like the company that fucked her out of half a million dollars, like the health insurance companies that uh, just squeezed her sister as she died. He uh, works in an existing system where the biggest costs of his failures and his inefficiencies in the market are played off on people like her. Uh, that said, he provide, he's also a great huckster and unlike uh, Mark Cuban or Elon Musk or any of the similarly slimy rodent fucks that uh, oppose him on Hillary's side, he's a great carnival barker who can uh, look at the system he's exploited and has helped ruin people like this, people's lives like this, and you know pointed at uh, pointed at a number of phantoms. That they'll chase. Well, among those phantoms in, in this article is like a, a really chilling portrait of how the uh, internet works to make us all insane, and especially Melanie. It describes um, she goes to her garage in the mornings to say her prayers and check her social media feed on her phone. She sat at a big picnic table with some laminated Holy Land placemats she had gotten during a trip to Israel and under the Christmas lights in the rafters. Oh, look, she said, reading a headline. A West Virginia member of the House of Delegates says Hillary Clinton should be tried for treason, murder, and crimes against the U.S. Constitution, and then hung on the mall in Washington, D.C. She scrolled. I want to find out if he's going to the nut house because of it, she said. She lit a cigarette and squinted at the screen. Look at this, she said, pointing to a photo of Michelle Obama with a caption suggesting she is a man. It's everywhere. She, th- she then began explaining step by step how she had become to believe that the first lady might actually be a man named Michael. <laughs> she st- figured it started with the Christian televangelist she had followed since the 1980s. In particular, she loved John Hagee, who said that the Antichrist would appear as a blasphemer and a homosexual, and Jerry Falwell, who would blame the September 11th attacks on pagans, abortionists, feminists, etc., Also, Melanie said, Falwell disclosed that the first Christmas Bill and Hillary spent in the White House, Hillary collected ornaments from homosexuals all over the world, and those ornaments were hung in the White House foyer. Um, He goes on, "Uh, then came Obama, Obama and his gay initiatives, she said, and her suspicions about him deepened with each one. First, he supported allowing gays to serve openly in the military, then gay marriage, then came the one that struck Melanie as the strangest and most sinister of all, allowing transgender people to use the bathrooms matching their gender identity. It's like he wants to classify us, alpha, beta, gamma, delta, she said, referring to the dystopian future described in the novel Brave New World. some people, um, I know, I, when this article came out, a number of people objected to it on the argument of, well, what does this tell us? This is just an uh, exploitative portrait of this poor, mentally ill woman. It doesn't really reflect any greater reality. It's just exploitation. 
But I think the point to draw is that, yes, this woman clearly has mental illness. She's clearly paranoid. She has these totally delusional beliefs. But they're being fed. Some of them are being fed just by shit on, on fringe websites. But a lot of them are being fed by Fox News and the fucking presidential candidate that she favors. That's the that's the point of this, is that this sort of totally insular, paranoid worldview is no longer a fringe idea. It's now the main currency of conversation on the right. Yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, that it's becoming ever easier for people who are mentally ill to kind of like live in a kind of consensual reality that is created and marketed directly to them. And you can get, you can, and also don't kid yourself, this kind of shit is exactly why Donald Trump won the nominee for the Republican uh, Party. It was his ability to feed into these fantasies and, and not disown them the way some other candidates try to or try not to mention them. I'm kind of reminded of uh, sort of idiosyncrasy about the Middle East. Uh, not in the, I guess, millennials in the Middle East, but the previous generation, Gen Xers and baby boomers. Uh, you talk to somebody, especially from a Gulf nation or uh, a lot of times in Lebanon, uh, people believe in conspiracy theories at a higher rate than almost anywhere else on Earth, according to them. And, you know, why is this? Why is this? If you, well, if you are frequently feeling the feeling of humiliation, the only way you can strike back sometimes without any political means uh, and the average person in the Middle East usually does not have a political mean because they live under some type of authoritarian government. All they can do is figure out a way to expose their conspirators to make them feel a similar sense of humiliation. What is more humiliating than revealing somebody as uh, transgender or gay or, you know, Hillary who it's exciting to say that she's dying or that she's going to be go to prison or be similarly humiliated to how you were in your life or that you're going to expose the Obamas for stealing kids. It's just it's trafficking back in what has happened to you your entire life, what has informed your conscious development uh, during your relationships to power. Yeah. And, and the other the other thought I had uh, reading this portrait of Melanie is that like, you know, Melanie and Jim Cooley. Like they live in, they they live in an America that is like totally alien to like the the sort of mainstream liberal consensus that like just like sort of, I don't know, like has no no answer or really even conception uh, that of these people and like and and there, there's like as, as Matt we were talking about earlier like or in a previous show like when you loot when you have what is ostensibly the left wing or labor party in the United States completely abandoned labor and just become a party of kind of the cultural affectations of a certain part of the ruling class, then like, what do you think is going to fill that vacuum? Like, it's going to be this kind of shit. Like, yeah, because they have no, there's nobody that they can point to. Like, you have to have a bad guy, you know, if in your narrative, if, if for people whose lives have gotten worse and a lot of people's lives are stagnant or getting worse, you have to have somebody to blame. If you're going to make a pitch to them for an electoral office, if you're going to tell them, vote for me, there's got to be somebody you can say is responsible for this. And the, the contemporary uh, Democratic Party really doesn't have an answer to that. All, all they really have is saying, hey, it's not that bad. 
And if your life is actually that bad, that that is never going to be persuasive. And you're going to want to listen to the person who actually has a story to tell you and actually has a bad guy to point out. Um, I think just if you know Melanie, just put her on to Chapo Trap House. Maybe she'll enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. We, we fucking name names here, man. We fucking we point out the bad guys. We give you a story about who's responsible for this shit. Yeah, I mean, look, we might not be revealing uh, who kidnapped his kids, but uh, look, there's a lot of uh, we have a lot of funny skits where uh, guys fuck each other on sailboats, and we think you might like it. Yeah, that's a uh, that's the that's the that's our pitch to uh, to Melanie. Come 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 to Chapo, uh, sort your life out. We've also driven ourselves insane through yeah. online, so you know I, I empathize. All right, what do you say? Uh, is that it for this week's show? I think so. Okay. Till next time, guys. Peace. Bye. Bye bye.